As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, welcome in everybody to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. It is the first postseason edition of the year 2022, and the Buffalo Bills will be going after that ever-elusive Super Bowl championship, the one that they've been talking about basically for the last couple of years, and now they have every opportunity to put all of their off-season uh, good vibes from the fan base into what uh, what they'll try to transition into an actual trophy, getting to the Super Bowl, maybe even winning it all. But, oh, by the way, in their way in the very first game of the playoffs, none other than the New England Patriots. And because, of course, the Patriots, the Bills, the third round of it this season, we had to get a third round of Matthew Fairburn on the preview pod. Matthew, I have to give you credit because the last time you were on the show, like right at the end, you were like, you know, it kind of seems written in the stars that that these two teams are going to uh, meet again and that uh, the that there's a third uh, matchup that will ultimately decide the fate of this of this uh, duo. And you were right on with that. So kudos. It got a little dicey there on Sunday with uh, <laughs> all the different scenarios that were in play, but this felt like a game. I don't know, matchup wise, every team in the league or every fan base in the league, I should say. I don't think teams are necessarily trying to play matchmaker and get their exact right opponent, but fan bases are always arguing over, you know, who should a team want to see this and that. But I think for the story aspect, this was the best matchup uh, for both teams in the first round. I don't think it was the best matchup for the Patriots if uh, you know they want to advance to the second round, but I think as far as the, the narrative and the storylines, it felt like this, we talked about it last time, that for the first time it feels like a, an actual rivalry, uh, first time in a long time anyways. And so because of that renewed rivalry, it feels like this game deserved uh, you know, a, a rubber match, a, a third game to decide, you know, 
both teams' fate. Yeah, the Bills got the division. The Bills got a convincing win last time. And now I think for the Bills too, you know, a lot of people have asked me how, you know, satisfying it will be for the franchise, for the fan base, the whole thing. And it's impossible to understate it, I think. If the team is going to make a run deep into the postseason to get past the Bill or get past the Patriots to do it, I think is, you know, what Bills fans want, uh, even if they thought the Chargers would be the better matchup or this or that. I think there's a, a cathartic element to this matchup, you know, on both sides in some ways. Yeah, 100%. And the Chargers were definitely the better matchup for the Bills, but this one is just, it's just so juicy. And, it, you know, the, the cathartic element to it is fascinating. And plus the fact if the Bills were to get by the Patriots, their most likely second round divisional round opponent would be the Kansas City Chiefs, who they lost in the AFC championship game, unless the Steelers pulled the upset of all upsets in the first round. And then if things hold serve and and the Titans get to the AFC championship game, that's another one where the Bills lost last second heartbreaker style in Tennessee uh, earlier in the season. So it's like they have these three straight opponents that they could potentially, you know, try and uh, pull the rug out from all of the uh, all of the stories uh, of the past. You know, obviously the Patriots have been the overlords of the AFC East for quite some time before these past couple of years, and then uh, and then of course the Chiefs have been the ones that have just been dominating the AFC in the playoffs for the past few years. So it it's all lining up to be rather poetic for the Bills, but that's only if they, you know, handle their business and take on or take out a Patriots team who will be very game. And the one thing that interests me about this matchup outside of all of the other stuff about it is that the first time these two teams met, the Bills went into the matchup pretty um, short-staffed. Uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They they used a, a trio of guys that they didn't have in that second matchup that I think definitely helped them. And then the second matchup, the Patriots were, were a little undermanned with, with who they came into the game with. So this one, you know, we have to wait to see about Isaiah Wynn, the left tackle for, um, for the Patriots. But this matchup, it seems like both teams just have almost their full firepower coming into this one. And I think the rubber match is perfect for this because they have almost everyone they could want to have uh, each side. And we're really going to figure out which one of these teams is the superior one. And that's why I'm like, okay, this, this thing's going to be so much fun on Saturday. Yeah. I think the, the Patriots are going to come into the game reasonably healthy uh about as healthy as they could hope isaiah win is not to me their biggest concern at the moment because they at least had they're one of the rare teams that has an answer for if they're missing a tackle i would mm -hmm. i don't know for sure that they would do this but logic would tell you that trent putting trent brown at left tackle and mike Onwenu at right tackle would fix that problem the only thing is that Trent Brown hasn't practiced a ton on the left side and on Wayne hasn't spent a ton of time at tackle this year but I don't know that seems like it would be the logical choice rather than you know plugging in one of the other tackles that have struggled Wynn has had an up and down year too 
I think the injuries in the secondary are probably going to be a bigger story for the Patriots as the week goes on. Jalen Mills is on the COVID list. Kyle Duggar uh, has a hand injury. He was limited in practice, but missed practice all week last week. So they have, you know, Jamie Collins was out today as well. A few little bumps and bruises on on defense that make you wonder if it's going to be quite the unit that the the Bills saw in that first matchup because, mm. you know, they I think in the last four games, the defense has shown some flaws in New England and they haven't been quite the same group. And with Bill Belichick as the coach and with a lot of the talent that they have, it wouldn't be surprising. A surprise to see them snap out of it but they're going to have some you know shuffling to do potentially personnel wise so yeah i think on the whole though you're looking at a healthier wide receiver group than last time they were down nelson Aguilar and kendrick Bourne was fresh off the covid list when these two teams played the day after christmas so they've got ramondre stevenson back in the backfield so yeah there's uh you know a healthier group on offense and that's probably where they need it a little bit more. Um, we'll see what what the rest of the week holds. Weird week with short short week, mm-hmm. less practice time and less time to get their bodies ready. But uh, you know they'll. I think I don't think any either team is going to be looking at it. You know, pointing to injuries as the reason they lost. Yeah. Um, what did they do last week when Win went down? Was it Justin Heron went in for him, or did he slide over to right tackle and and Brown went over to the left? I know I only watched the first few reps of uh, of non Win stuff, and I saw Heron on left side. I'm not sure if they switched it at all throughout the game. Yeah, Heron was the one who who played, and um, you know he's he's just not that good. Um, so I I don't know they'll. They they have options if they decide mm-hmm. to use them. And Wynn has had a weird year. So I don't know. I I almost think their their best offensive line would be Trent Brown at left and Anwenu at right tackle. But it's kind of, you know, when they picked up the fifth year option on him uh, and, you know, they had, uh, you know, th- they've committed to the guy and he's played better uh, since the first half of the season. But I'll be interested to see exactly how they decide to use the offensive line if Wynn can't play. And even if Wynn is 70%, you still almost think using Trent Brown. Because Trent Brown played a ton of left tackle for these guys a few years ago. So mm-hmm. it's not as if it's foreign to him. And like I said, it's a luxury that they have six offensive linemen. It's why they throw six offensive linemen out there sometimes. Because they have six guys that are worth worth playing. And... So yeah, if it's Heron, he's just not, in in my opinion, nearly as good an option as the other two. But they have, I think, in the middle of games, gone with that approach just from a practice continuity standpoint. Gotcha. Um, this is a very, very serious question. Is Justin Heron related to Dan Boom Heron? That's a good question. Actually, I've <laughs> never, I've never made the connection. Um, that would Dan be, uh, or Boom Heron, I should ask. I don't Either know. one. They, they are they are two different sized human beings, but uh <laughs> I see no mention of Dan Heron in his uh in his Wikipedia bio or boom. That's unfortunate. So but perhaps I don't know, maybe there are people out there who call him Boom. Maybe he shares the nickname. Uh Justin maybe. Boom Heron. 
we are actually on a boom heron streak here on the podcast because we brought up the uh because the Colts lost to the Jaguars on the last pod and I the, you know did you see the stat where it said um the Colts are 0 and 7 in Jacksonville since 2015 and the Jags are only like 15 and you know however many losses against everybody else um well the Bills are 0 and 2 since they've since 2015 every time they've gone to Jacksonville so they are you know uh not not really contributing <laughs> to the rest of the league but uh one of the games since 2015 was the London game which both you and I covered and the backup running back for the Bills was Dan Boom Heron and I completely forgot <laughs> that he was still on the team in 2015 so yeah we're on a Boom Heron streak he was on the 2015 was that when that was when he started wasn't it like when he first was on the team i you know it was actually yeah that was when he got signed 2015 all of the dan boom aaron years run together he went to the colts at the at the end of 2015 no it must have been the beginning of 2015 that he was on the colts and then Hmm. he was a free agent after the year yeah and then he didn't get cut until 20... Oh, no, he went back to the Colts. He w- he was on the Bills from October to November of 2015, went back to the Colts for the end of the season, and then went back to the Bills the following June. Wow. He was just bouncing back and forth between Indy and Buffalo, making the uh, eight-hour drive down uh, I-70 in the 90. Uh, we, we we know that drive well. Um, did you also know the starting running back for the Jags that game was TJ Yeldon? So that that's another little... A lot of those connection. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. All right. So, um, from a, from a bill's perspective, we, we heard about the Patriots health concerns. The bills are, they're, they're freaking healthy right now. Like they don't have anyone, uh, at least as of taping on Wednesday evening, they sent out the injury report. The two guys that missed, um, week 18 against the jets was Emmanuel Sanders and F.A. Obata, but both guys have practiced in full the first two days of, of um, work. And then Cole Beasley was given a vet rest day where he was limited today. And other than that, it's barren. Really, the only injuries, the long-term injuries that have affected them are Tredavious White, obviously, and um, Ike Butker, who went down in that Patriots game. But a lot like what you were saying with, with uh, the Patriots the Bills seem to have settled into a pretty good starting five offensive line based on that injury. Butker, they really respected him. They like him in the locker room, everything like that. But when you watch him on film, you just see a guy who is struggling. And since Ryan Bates has gone in at left guard, you know, I know you have encountered the Bates hive yourself. You've written an article about Ryan Bates back on your time on, on the Bills beat. But he has come in at left guard. And that unit has played incredibly well over the last three weeks. And, you know, the stat gets thrown out there that uh, Allen hasn't been sacked since that unit got together. Um, I think some of that has to do with Allen being able to get out of trouble a, a lot better than a lot of quarterbacks can because they have had some beats. But Deion Dawkins is playing the best football of his uh, of his season right now. Mitch Morse is has uh, returned to his really good way. Spencer Brown is, you know, hit or miss, but when he hits, he can, you know, knock a, knock a guy on his ass. And then 
the right guard, Darrell Williams, going back inside there has been uh, pretty good since getting out of the tackle spot. So, you know, it's it's kind of weird because this offensive line has been an issue all year, and now they get an injury, and now they have a pretty solid, cohesive unit that, that communicates well. And I think that's going to be huge up against this Patriots team who likes to vary things up as much as they do. Yeah, if they can play the way they did along the offensive line again, that's going to be a, a big help to them because the Patriots' pass rush has cooled off a bit uh, toward the end of the season. Matthew Judon, has the last really good game he had was against the Bills on Monday mm-hmm. Night Football. Uh, they went into the bye week, came back out, and he has just not played quite as well. And he didn't have a great game against Deion Dawkins in the second matchup between these two teams. Christian Barmore got hurt last week. He's the other guy that, you know, is worth keeping an eye on this week. It looked pretty bad when he first got hurt, but he's been on the practice field. So he's been their second best, uh, you know, creator of pressure. Uh, He's second behind Judon on the team in pressures as a rookie and an interior lineman. So he's a big part of what they do uh, generating you know, pressure up front. I I find that element of this game to be particularly important because pressure can be a weird stat. And in the last game, Josh Allen was technically under pressure a lot, according to Mm -hmm. the various, you know, metrics. He was, there was some bad blocking, especially on the interior, but he, he was under pressure a lot, but he wasn't, it didn't feel to me like he was uncomfortable. You know, he was Mm -hmm. he made a season high 16 throws from outside the pocket and he made a good chunk of his throws with more than three seconds to throw, which I think speaks to how good a job he did buying time and, you know, staying patient in the pocket after the initial rush. And it speaks to how poor a job the Patriots did at pinning him in the pocket and you know, finishing when they did get pressure because there were moments of initial pressure. He just got out of those plays and, and you know, made big plays passing and running. And it was reminiscent of the game the Patriots played earlier in the year against the Cowboys, the only other game where a quarterback had more than 10 attempts from outside the pocket. It was Dak Prescott. He was 9 for 11 for 171 yards and a touchdown. Allen was nine for 16 from outside the pocket for 116 yards and a touchdown. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's how you get into a ton of trouble on those third and longs and those plays where, you know, Allen can, you know, make those backbreaking plays that just crush the spirit of a defense. And he did it over and over again in that second matchup. So that's definitely a big deal on Saturday night is not only what, you know, how, how often the Patriots get pressure, but what kind of pressure and what it does to Allen, because I think that's the, and a little bit of a chicken and an egg thing with, you know, you want perhaps the coverage to make Allen pause half a second longer because he's not trusting what he's seeing and that can help the pass rush, but it's also possible for the pass rush to be the, you know, catalyst to him speeding up his mental process and, getting a little bit more frantic back there. So if this defense is going to work, if it's going to, you know, be better than it was the last time these two teams met, 
it starts up front, I think, especially to the other part of it with, that goes along with that offensive line is you can't give them the running game either. You know, you can't let Josh Allen and Devin Singletary be decent in the running game. You know, I think a big part of what helped them in that first matchup, obviously the weather, uh, you know, was a big deal, but they also eliminated the running game. So the Bills, you know, threw the ball a bunch in conditions that made it hard to do that. So, you know, if they can be balanced, they're they're almost, you know, and I'm not talking 50-50. I'm just talking, you know, a, a chunk play from Josh Allen here or a chunk play from Devin Singletary there. That just makes life even more frustrating for a defense because they're not all that good at running the ball. They've been better. They're not all that good at it. And so if, it's like, you know, if you can't hit the off-speed stuff and then they're hitting you with their fastball, which is the passing game, it can just be a long day. Yeah. And really since that game, and even even the one before that, the Panthers game, um, because of the foot sprain that he had been dealing with, he really started to you know, be a little bit more patient in the pocket. Not that he wasn't to a grand scale um, before the injury, but it made him uh, realize that he doesn't have to do it all with his legs. And of course, that was a part of the game plan when they went against the Patriots and and um, certainly um, against the Falcons a couple weeks ago. Uh, you know, it was only here or there against the Jets because you know he was probably conserving, scrambling more than anything. He had one um, one uh, run uh, in the red zone area, but he has been uh, a lot more poised really over the final half of the season than than what we saw maybe earlier on because it was kind of a a back and forth like you never really felt like they were really hitting on all cylinders in the first half of the season but recently you know in and I know you've alluded to this a couple of times too since that second half against Tampa Bay um it's it's basically been what they were last year and um and they've probably got a little bit more talent at, at the receiver position now with, with Gabriel Davis kind of coming into his own. And, um, you know, when Emmanuel Sanders can play, I think he's been a slight upgrade to what John Brown was last year. It's probably pretty similar, but, uh, but still a year more of Gabriel Davis, Dawson Knox picking it up. And I did find it interesting in that first Patriots matchup. The one thing that the Bills did to try and stymie the contain and maybe even to get Allen outside of the pocket is they use Dawson Knox a lot for that where they um where he would either go to chip or go to block or maybe the the um defender in coverage or, or the defender in uh that was about to rush um wanted to chip him right back and they just end up engaging and it's just kind of like this little little dance that they do and then by the end of it you see Allen rolling out to his right and Knox is is right in front of him uh, engaged with a defender. So that was something interesting that I, an adjustment that the bills made. And I wonder what the counter to that will be um, for this game, because what worked last game might work again this game, but probably there's going to be other answers for it. And that's why this, this third matchup is so compelling outside of the obvious, because it's, it really is just a game of tag based on where you're, uh, what you want to do this time as compared to what you did last time and building off what you did or maybe even flipping tendency. 
you know, this that was a big talking point um, this week for the Bills saying, you know that they're going to have new wrinkles. They're one of the best in the league in it. And you you can't really, you know, go into paralysis by analysis mode um, and try and anticipate what the Patriots are going to do. You just have to be prepared for the test as best you can and react when uh, with, you know, a good sound strategy when you identify what they're doing. So a lot of different elements in this one that I think can make it pretty good. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, I think the Bills have better personnel to make more adjustments if they want to. You know, mm-hmm. and what I mean by that, specifically, you could look at, for instance, Isaiah McKenzie and Cole Beasley. You know, if the if the Patriots want to stick in man coverage and let Miles Bryant chase Isaiah McKenzie around, the Bills will take that matchup and you know, find a way to exploit it. If the Patriots have an answer with more zone coverage that, you know, kind of bottles McKenzie up a little bit, Cole Beasley is more that player for their offense. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got Gabriel Davis in this game who they didn't have last time. You know, they've got guys who can do different things on offense. Now they, it's still, you know, you're limited by in general, just it, the passing game, you know, you've shown everything to this point in the season, right? They have a lot that they can do. They have a lot of different curveballs they can throw at you, but they can win a lot of individual matchups because of their skill players. I don't know what they can do running the ball. That, you know, kind of limits, I guess, the amount of mixing it up they can do. But on the other side, you have a coach who I think is, I mean, he's the greatest of all time and he's the best ever at, game planning and making adjustments and and things of that nature. But he also has a quarterback who can, at this stage in his career, only operate, you know, in a certain way. And and at this point in a certain game script uh, really has favored this passing offense. So we saw the Bills last time kind of dare him to throw outside the numbers. And they had a lot of success because they took away the middle of the field, did it really well. And you know, Mac Jones didn't have the answers. So that part of this is interesting. And, you know, we've gotten to this point and haven't brought up the weather, but it feels (laughs) like that will be, you know, for a while when I was looking at it, I thought, okay, if it's 20 degrees and up, really, who cares? You know, between all the heaters on the sidelines and the stuff that guys can wear, 
that's cold, but it's not ridiculous. As long as the wind is manageable, you know, 20 degrees and up, maybe even 15 degrees and up, and you're saying, whatever, it's not going to be a factor. I understand, you know, Josh McDaniels said this week that temperature shouldn't affect the passing game. It's more precipitation and wind. Uh, I know, you know, Belichick has said some of the same. I think when it gets to this point where we're talking about potentially negative wind chill, it's going to have some impact on both passing games. And that's a good thing for the Patriots, frankly, because if it makes Josh Allen human, that's a good, you know, that's a, a net win for the Patriots. And not just because they won a game where they only threw the ball three times. That certainly, you know, gives them the confidence that you could take away the passing game uh, and they'll have a good time with that. But simply because they pre- prefer to play with the run first. And that's their strength. And so, you know, if you're talking about zero degrees, I mean, I can't even really, especially with a night kickoff, it's going to be so cold. And even if it's 10 mile an hour winds or whatever, I think that's where what we're looking at at the moment. I mean, that is really, really cold. And uh, Josh Allen has become human in freezing temperatures. And it will be, you know, everybody... Mac Jones has not played in a game this cold, but it might be the coldest game that Belichick has coached in. I mean, that's how cold we're talking about. Like Josh Allen hasn't played in a game this cold. So if it neutralizes offense in some way, I think that's, you know, a good thing for New England because I look at that second matchup, you know, that was a a balmy day in Foxborough, comfortable conditions. Josh Allen was you know, pretty close to perfect in that game. He made a few mistakes, yeah, he but he was per- he was on fire. I mean, he carried them to a win, I thought. They played well on defense, and, you know, they had, you know, he didn't do it alone, but he had a damn good day. And if he's not that, it closes the gap a little bit, I think, for the Patriots. They were a J.C. Jackson dropped interception away from making that game a lot more interesting. And mm-hmm. so... You know, as thin as the margin for error is on New England side, which I think it is because I think the Bills are the more talented team, that margin for error, because, you know, the the thinness, I guess, of the Bills margin for error lies in how much, uh, you know, Josh Allen has to carry them at times. And he is capable of it. That's why they're where they are. And that's why they're a legitimate Super Bowl contender and might win the whole damn thing. But that's where if it's negative something degrees with the wind chill, uh, it, it it's a net positive for anybody who's playing this team because it makes him just a little bit more mortal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a projected to be a real feel of negative six <laughs> outside and not exactly conducive to uh, a positive offensive environment. You know, the the one game that you think about when you, you think of coldest games um, in recent memory, you think about the Seahawks and Vikings game from, I think it was five or six years ago in the 2015 season, I think. And then it was in, it was their wild card game. Um, that one ended up 10 to nine in favor of the Seahawks uh, on January 10th, 2016. And oddly enough. Stefan Diggs played in that one. That's something he alluded to 
uh, in his interviews this week to where he's played in that cold before. And the Bills all seem to be talking as though that, you know, while it is going to be cold, uh, they're they're going to be prepared for it. And even though they did not practice outside on Wednesday, we will see if they do it on Thursday. Um, they, Micah Hyde said something. No, I'm sorry. Jerry Hughes said something along the lines of, you just got to get outside, take your pants off, put your shorts on, and and get acclimated to the cold because it's Buffalo. <laughs> so, you know, Jerry... Jerry's still given the. Uh, I will not be the, doing that. The good stuff. I will not be doing that <laughs> when I arrive in Western New York. Uh, I have not. I you know full disclosure before we dissect the practice habits. I have not been you know doing my uh, my calls and my my writing outside this week. I have been mm, inside yes. in the comfy confines, but I want to replicate what I'm going to have on Sunday, you know, or on Saturday rather, uh, which will be you know a, a mildly comfortable. Uh, press box not nearly as as biting cold as uh you know i don't know it'll be i think it's gonna feel similar i don't know what it technically felt like with the 50 mile an hour winds i know temperature at kickoff on monday night was like 36 degrees or 34 mm-hmm. depending on where you look with the wind it was probably like low 20s or teens uh, because that wind was ridiculous but yeah you can't even find a like a, like a legitimate sample size of data of games this cold you know Mm -hmm. there's just not a lot of them if it's zero degrees at kickoff i'm finding uh let's see looks like eight quarterbacks that have attempted a pass in a game or eight eight quarterbacks that have won a game in in this cold so it would be eight games since 2000 that have been zero or colder so it just doesn't happen a lot and of those quarterbacks, well, of course it looks like well Brett Favre played twice, and mm. um, it looks like Tom Brady. Did Tom Brady have a 500 yard game in a zero degree? That's ridiculous. If he did, I'm trying to figure out what this game was. Well, in that cold game I was talking about, just because I have the stats up, Russell Wilson threw for 142, a touchdown and an interception, in that wild card game. Yeah, that there was that one. There was Case Keenum. He threw for 189 and a touchdown. Oof. That was that the same game? No, um, the Viking starter was Teddy. Oh yeah, he he threw for 146 yards. It's funny yep. of all of all these games, I'm seeing six Vikings quarterbacks that have played in a game zero degrees or colder. Um, yeah, I say there's a trend there. So that must have been when they were playing outside for all those years. Yeah, and yeah. Matt Castle had one. So the reason I, it's cumulative stats that I'm looking at, and um, the uh, the stats say that Brett Favre has 526 yards, but he has two games. So I don't know how that splits up. But I'm looking at just one game for Brady and 505 yards. So I'll have to figure out. 505 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, 58% completions. Uh, there's nothing the man cannot do. Um, <laughs> Eli Manning had a decent game in those temperatures, which I think was a, a game against the Packers years ago. Dante Culpepper had a three-touchdown game. I feel like Dante Culpepper is a somewhat reasonable comp for Josh Allen. Um, sure, yeah. So, you know, he had, Dante's a little bigger. 
he lost, but he threw for three thirty-five, three touchdowns, interception. So um, I don't I know. I think there, it, there's there's definitely potential for them to have success in this cold. It's just like like you said, no one has ever done it before. It's just not easy, right? I think people or they haven't done it before. Yeah, people pretending that it's not going to impact because the wind is only ten miles. I mean, it is it is very much uh, classic Buffalo. Slash, you know, you hear the same thing from people in Minnesota of like, oh, it's not that cold out. It's like, yes, it is. <laughs> like, it is very cold. Uh, oh, at least it's not windy. At least there's not five feet of snow. Your your brain gets a little warped when you when you have you know you withstand those winters in in Buffalo and Minnesota. They're they're different, and you know you, you kind of lose sight of the fact that like, oh, zero degrees, it shouldn't make that much of a difference in theory. Teams are better equipped to handle it now than they were 30, 40 years ago because of heaters on the sidelines and different things. But man, when you're out there and you're getting hit, like that hurts at that temperature. It's a mental toughness thing. And I think it just takes even a a little bit of the edge off the passing game. You know, there's no question that, I mean, if this game were in Foxborough, I would, you know, be much more confident that the bills win. Uh, but the fact that it's in Buffalo and it's going to be that cold, uh, it, I think is a little bit of a, a neutralizer. The, uh, this I mean, it's week supposed to be six two- degrees low and on Saturday in Foxborough. So I guess the same problem would have, uh, would have yeah. presented itself, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this week on Tuesday, Josh Allen, when talking about playing in the cold said, it's not fun getting hit in the cold. It's not fun catching hard passes in the cold. Getting up from the ground is a lot more exhausting in the cold. And there are no lies detected there. He did go on to say that it's all about getting past the mental barrier of the cold. And once you do that, you're in a good spot. But even still, like that's, that's still something you do have to do. And even defenders, too, at the same point. like It's just as cold for them to, to have to serve up hits every once in a while so maybe you know maybe it's the playoffs. so i guess adrenaline just kind of takes over but yeah do you it, have it's, his it's quote about his toes handy i don't have the quote about how he has poor circulation in his toes yes that feels um, like it could play a big role he <laughs> he said because he has poor circulation in his toes he's only a one layer sock guy because he doesn't want his feet to sweat and for them to get colder which i think is actually kind of smart because once once they once your feet sweat, then things can get pretty uh pretty frozen down in, down on the foot area. Um, so I'm I'm not necessarily out on that. He did say that he doesn't like to wear sleeves. Quote: I'm not a big sleeve guy uh, because he finds that when carrying the ball when he's running it, uh, the sleeves get in the way of you know keeping it tight to him so he uh he declines on sleeves so there there you have it that's why the man will likely be sleeveless and if he's not if, if he does have sleeves we've got a scandal to look into um but yeah in look look the um the game this past week against the jets is a against the jets and b wasn't nearly as cold but it was really freaking cold <laughs> against the jets and the wind was was whipping around um you know just walking back to my car from the stadium at like, I don't know, what was it? One thirty in the morning, just walking to it and feeling the wind whipping back and forth. Like that was the coldest I have been all, all year since the, since the weather turned. 
So it's not as though they <clears throat> they haven't been in a similarly cold environment, and they practiced inside the entire week last week. But again, it's the Jets. But they still had some success with their passing attack. Allen had a, a really good day. He had a kind of a lull in the third quarter, but you know they still put up 27 points. They were still able to move the ball um, efficiently. So they do have the capacity in them. It's just a matter of how much will it impact them going up against a really good defense or what has seemed to be a really good defense in the past, you know, the the last maybe three of the last four weeks, maybe notwithstanding for the Patriots and, and what they've done. I did have a question for you about, about their defense. The first time the Bills played the Pats, it was most, you know, majority zone. They flipped that um, the, the second time around. Uh, why do you think that is, and what do you think they're going to do this time around? Because it, it interested me last time because, as you astutely pointed out, the Bills without Cole Beasley, you know, you would have to think that maybe the Patriots want to play a bit more zone because McKenzie's not as good against the zone, but they ended up going more man-heavy. So I'm just curious on on what is as watching them all year, why they did that and what what it might mean going into this one i couldn't quite figure out why not only why they did it but why they stuck with it was probably yeah, the that more was weird. the more puzzling part and there were multiple references after that game from devin mccordy about how they didn't make adjustments you know there was adjustments they could have made that they didn't make and he was speaking about himself because he's partially responsible for making those adjustments at the line of scrimmage but that's also i think you know starts on on the sideline a lot of the times so, you know if you want to make a different call you make a different call uh, and i think i don't know if it was kind of funny because on friday that week i asked belichick about mckenzie because i think gabriel davis had just tested positive mm-hmm. beasley had tested positive and so it was just to see what he would say and you know said all great things about him said he can you know ruin the game in one play and it turned out he ruined it in 10 or 11, you know, however many catches he had. But the lack of adjustments, I don't know if it was, I don't know, it almost felt like there was still an element of, all right, like, let's see if Josh Allen can can beat this. Let's see if, you know, and they've been a good man team historically over the last four or five years, but they don't have the same, you know, talent on the back end that they did a few years ago. So... It was a little bit of a confusing, I don't know if it was trying to break tendency and give him something he hadn't seen or daring him to beat it. I don't know if perhaps that's what Josh was referencing when he came off the field and said, you know, I don't know who the F they thought I was, but I would think that there's going to be some, some different wrinkles. It seemed a little too straightforward and it hurt them in the biggest spots, you know, on third down, they were terrible in that game. I think it. Their fourth down too. Yeah, third and fourth down. Uh, those key downs, they they got shredded, and some of them were third and longs. So, yeah, it was not. I didn't think the best plan, but the lack of adjustments was probably even even more of a concern. So, I don't know. They've had a lot. You know, everybody always wants to have a some sort of conspiracy theory with with Belichick, like he was hold, he was holding back for the playoff game, or he was. You know, I think it was just a plan that didn't work and that they didn't adjust quickly enough. And they also just didn't make a lot of the plays. They weren't bringing a ton of extra pressure either. So it was almost like reminiscent of 
the Steelers early in the season, not blitzing Allen much and, you know, kind of they got the pressure but didn't bring him down. And, you know, the difference with the Steelers was they got way more pressure uh, and impacted the quarterback a lot more with that pressure than than the Patriots did. So I think a lot of this is on on Belichick because we've seen two out of the last three times that he's gone up against Josh Allen, Allen has gotten the best of him. So at at this point, it's fair to say that Allen is not as easily stumped as he used to be. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's immune to that, though. I don't think hardly any quarterback is. I mean, Tom Brady had a frustrating day against Belichick earlier this year. So I'm not ready to sit here and say Josh has figured it all out. He has all the answers to the test, no matter what you throw at him, because I mean, he threw three interceptions against the Falcons a couple weeks ago. So there are answers, but the fact of the matter is he's seen a lot more of this defense than, uh, you know, a few years ago, right? He just keeps seeing more and more of it. He has better mm -hmm. personnel, I think, you know, than he's ever had and probably has an advantage, more advantages in terms of one-on-one -on -one matchups than the Patriots do. And, I think he has an offensive coordinator who who can push the right buttons at the right times and has a ton of familiarity with how the Patriots do things. So uh, all of those things put a little bit more pressure on Belichick and his staff to have the counterpunch and to have the answers uh, to what Allen does well. And I think a lot of it, too, comes down to Allen, what he does well sometimes it doesn't matter what you do on defense when he's really feeling it like he was in that second matchup. So a combination of a lot of factors, I think, went into him having the day that he did. But you'd certainly have to say that the plan that the Patriots had contributed to it. Yeah, and I'm just looking over um, the the game by game splits for the Patriots right now, and this is kind of an interesting little factoid. In two of their three heaviest man coverage games. Um, one was against the Bills in that second matchup, obviously. The other one against the Cowboys, which we talked about the last time um, we we got together for, for one of these podcasts, which was kind of like the catalyst to a bunch of change for them in the season. But in those two games, the Patriots ran their highest amount of cover zero. Um, they did it six times against the Cowboys and five times against the Bills. And they had their probably... I'm sure uh, you would know better than I, but their worst two defensive showings of the season in those two games. So maybe a little, uh, maybe they were like feeling a, a bit desperate. Maybe that's why they got the man because the quarterbacks were on a heater. Maybe because they were getting outside the pocket. I don't, you know, you, you can never really tell what what the cause is, but it's it's at least interesting that they flip tendency after having so much success against the Bills first time around. And then the last couple of weeks, they've gone heavy zone against the Jags and the Dolphins. So, who knows? Who knows what what we'll see with them? They're, I'm sure. I'm sure they've got something up their sleeve. They always do. Yeah, it's interesting that you know. I think anytime you play a team this often, you're always running the risk of overthinking things or over adjusting, mm -hmm. or you have a certain adjustment and they have the better one on that given day. And McKenzie was that guy. I think that kind of ruined some of their plans like I didn't blame Miles Bryant you know a lot of people will will look at that and say oh Miles Bryant was totally schooled by Isaiah McKenzie and Miles Bryant's a terrible player 
look at what McKenzie did to him. I don't know that that's entirely the case. I mean, there were there were times where Miles Bryant had outside leverage and Isaiah McKenzie is just running over routes. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. You're going to have a really hard, like that is a advantage wide receiver. Whoever the wide receiver is, it happened to be Isaiah McKenzie, who, yes, is faster than Miles Bryant, but Bryant didn't have a lot of help on a lot of those. Now, there were there were plays, individual plays that, you know, I'm not saying Miles Bryant is a pro bowler, but I just felt in that game, scheme let them down as much as Bryant did uh, in those particular yeah. moments as far as defending McKenzie. So he's more of a zone player anyways, Miles Bryant. And so I don't know. I'm The chess match of playing, of two teams playing three times in a span of, what, 40-something days, it's bizarre. It doesn't it is happen wild. a lot. And it's wild. Especially when it's two teams that I think are near the top of the league in making adjustments and game planning, particularly on defense. You know, the, you know, as Bill Belichick's defense gets a ton of credit, but the Bills have allowed four passing touchdowns to the Patriots since Sean McDermott was hired. And Tom Brady was around for a handful of those games. So, you know, McDermott has a lot of answers to this passing game too, or I should say Leslie Frazier has a lot of answers. It's Leslie Frazier's defense after all. Um, I want to make that distinction uh, as McDermott pointed out after the game on Sunday, but they have, I think the better defense in this game, the bills do, but in terms of how the game might go, I still think the run defense, while the numbers have been pretty good, you have to take into account the fact that they're, Every game they win, they're kicking the other team's ass. So they're not really, you know, there hasn't been a lot of game scripts that have called for them to stop the run consistently throughout a game. Yeah. And I think that skews the numbers a little bit. They're okay against the run. I don't think they're a disaster against the run. But it's the pass defense that is just an absolute nightmare for most teams uh, and certainly will be for the Patriots. And if you throw in, you know, cold temperatures, a rookie quarterback, it's not not pleasant, you know, for from the Patriots standpoint. So it's all the more motivation for them to run the ball. I think the one thing that was um, a brilliant adjustment by the Bills in that last Patriots game was having a personnel package on the ready for what killed them in the first game, which was Mike Onwenu, um Johnson, the fullback, and then the tight end, which was usually Hunter Henry. Um, when they went super heavy, the Bills just did not have much of anything, and it just ran all over them in that first game. And then the second one, they also had two guys that they didn't have for that game. But anytime that little personnel package went out onto the field, uh, the Bills subbed out Taron Johnson. They subbed out Dane Jackson, who's their every down corner, and they subbed out, uh, they usually subbed out a defensive end on the field as well that's not as good uh, or is not as physical, not as strong as some others. And they brought on F.A. Obata to play the the strong side of, of the New England offensive formation at defensive end. They brought in A.J. Klein as their third linebacker, and they brought in Saran Neal to play base cornerback. Um, and always be positioned on the side 
of Anwenu, the fullback, and the tight end. And what we saw was a lot more attention and success in holding the point of attack because I, I remember that first game watching the film on it, like A.J. Epinesa was just a nightmare in that game. Uh, same thing with Tyrell Dodson. That was a huge, huge um, uh, COVID case for, for the Bills, not having A.J. Klein and having to sub in Tyrell Dodson for him because Dodson just wasn't game for it. And then it took Taron Johnson off the field. But, you know, by subbing in Saran Neal for Dane Jackson, you're putting an extra 25, 30 pounds of a player and taller and longer that's probably better at defending the run um, on that side to try and muddy things up. And it didn't make it become as much of an issue. So I thought the Bills did a really nice job with that. They still had some issues against the run, especially with those wide rushes. Um, when the uh, when the Patriots got really physical and, you know, demanded that their the Bills linebackers, you know, push through and, and make the play. Sometimes they didn't have that, and that's where they found their most success. But uh, I think the way that I've been I've been thinking about how the Bills' last game plan for the Patriots was in how, and you'll remember this, in how the Bills found a formula that worked against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, like kind of a a different approach. Uh, to an offensive scheme that they that they don't normally see, but they had a certain set of teaching and bullet points of rules to live by as a defender to defend to um, defend that type of offense. And of course, the Ravens' offense, the Patriots' offense, the way that they had had success against the Bills in the past, two way different things. But that whole idea of finding that formula and sticking with it, I think, was a really nice job by them. And I wonder how much of that sixth offensive lineman we actually see in this game because of how well the Bills did again against it last time. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And they need six healthy offensive linemen to pull it off. They're not going to do it if Isaiah Wynn doesn't play. I'd be surprised at least to see it because part of the reason they used it in the first place was because they had no other way to get Mike Onwayno on the field. I mean, they could have, but you know, it would mean disrupting a combination of linemen that they were pretty happy with. So, I wouldn't be surprised if we see less of that, especially if Win doesn't play. And there's there's a lot to me pointing in the direction of, you know, there's a lot working in the Bills' favor in this game on paper. You know, they come into the game with a four-game winning streak. The Patriots have lost three of four. Uh, the Patriots haven't played well down the stretch. Mac Jones hasn't played well down the stretch. Their run defense hasn't been particularly great, uh, you know, in the last, say, five or six weeks. They've, after that seven-game winning streak, kind of skidded into the playoffs. And the Bills had their, you know, their moment of adversity a little bit earlier. It was mid-December or so, and um, they flipped a switch since then. So 
I think it's an interesting, you know, it, it's an interesting matchup in so many ways because of how, how they're, it's almost like they're out of adjustments, right? Like both teams are like, mm-hmm. they almost emptied the bag in the two matchups because the matchups were so high stakes to begin with. It was basically a division championship game uh, the day after Christmas that the Bills won. And now obviously things are, you know, ratcheted up even even higher, but you just wonder what's left. You know, what what more can you dig in and, and pull out that you haven't already used? And so, you know, I think that's where it, the first quarter is going to be a big deal in this game. And I say that because the Patriots, when they've fallen behind, just have not been the same team. And it's usually told a pretty good story about how the game is going to go depending on how they play early. And the fact that they got that long touchdown run from Damian Harris in the first game was everything. You know, it was what gave them, you know, the the advantage for the whole night. It's what allowed them to run the ball the way that they did uh, or as often as they did. So, I don't know. This is a, a fascinating game from so much. It, it's a lot more interesting, I think, than the Bills playing the Chargers and the Patriots playing the Bengals is seeing these two teams who I think will be right back here next year battling it out in the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that they're developing this dislike for one another, which is just so, you know, palpable. Like, you can see it on the field. You can see it, you know, between the lines after the whistles. It's... It's exactly what you want a playoff matchup to be, I think, and if you're, you know, a fan, and I think it's going to be, you know, really intriguing to see how it all plays out. Yeah, it is by far one of the best matchups of the uh, of the opening round. Um, you know, in terms of history, I think the it's Cow- the best. The, well, I, I'm just think- I'm just thinking like the Cowboys 49ers, like that history behind those two, like the, that's long history. But where they are now, I'm I'm probably with you. Bills and Patriots is is as juicy a matchup as you can get in the first round. Yeah, Cowboys 49ers is right there because you've got you know, uh, you know the the long time. Uh, whipping boy of a lot of people and Mike McCarthy kind of having another run at things. And you've got mm-hmm. the golden boy and Kyle Shanahan and the history, uh, you know, a nice little, that's an old school rivalry that probably nobody on the current rosters really cares about. But one last thing in the, the bills matchup bills, Patriots matchup that I think could play a pretty big role is special teams. And mm-hmm. I know both. I know both coaching staffs probably feel that way. Uh, they both, you know, take it very seriously, and you know, make it a big part of their roster construction. The Patriots have had their worst special team season since 1994. First time they've fi- finished with negative special teams DVOA since 1994. Wow. Three blocked punts. Uh, they had two special teams penalties against the Dolphins last week. One was a very simple illegal formation penalty uh, where Lawrence Guy lined up directly over the long snapper on a punt. The second penalty was a, a pretty terrible unnecessary roughness or unnecessary roughness call. Um, but still, they've made a lot of mistakes on special teams. We saw them uh, fumble 
a punt in the first matchup when Nikhil Harry was back there for some reason. So that in combination with Matt Hacks uh, or Hawk, whatever the heck his name yeah, is. Yeah, it's uh, Hawk. Hawk, not Hack. You know, I didn't I didn't cover him for long enough to get the pronunciation, <laughs> I guess. Uh, and he didn't he did not partake in the last game so i uh, oh that's true you know <laughs> he, he actually didn't all. partake in the game after that either yeah he he showed his rust i think a little bit uh, yeah he was kicking week. directly into the wind for his first few punts it was it was it was it was a rough go for him but he ironed it out um i don't know it's gonna be a weird game yeah potentially and weird games have weird moments on special teams special teams is built for that and so not making special teams mistakes, I think, will be a big deal to the outcome. So it, the Bills also seem to have, you might be able to shed more light on this, but they seem to have a bit of a revolving door at punt returner. Yeah, I was just they about to say. They to make up their mind about what the hell they want to do there. So yeah, a lot of moving pieces on special teams. That's one thing to keep an eye on for this one because they made Marquez Stevenson an active. Um, this, that was a game after... Uh, where he let the ball hit the ground on two different occasions. So I'm unsure if if McDermott is going to trust him in a playoff game. Uh, and then when Isaiah McKenzie made the decision to field a punt off the bounce at the last second and basically get clotheslined immediately, um, that was the last we saw of Isaiah McKenzie returning punts. And then they opted for Micah Hyde, who is of more, more of the punt catcher variety. But the damnedest thing about that is he didn't attempt to catch one of the punts. He let it bounce every single time. And he judged it off the bounce. And if it was a, a good enough bounce for him, he would go up and field it and try and return it for a few yards. But if he didn't like what he saw, then he would just let it bounce and let let the... Uh, let the Jets field it and and down it. So if I had to guess, I think if there are any hints of wind that Micah Hyde is going to be back there. Heck, he might even be back there if if it's not windy because McDermott knows he can trust Hyde. Not ideal to have your star safety back there um, fielding punts, but as you know, Having that happen and having him fair catch as opposed to potentially volatility, potential volatility with either Marquez Stevenson or Isaiah McKenzie coughing up the ball, regardless of what they can do returning it, uh, that's that I think would probably be more preferable to Sean McDermott if I had to pick it. Um, All oh, of this sounds very much like uh, special teams is going to just furthers my thought that special yeah. teams will find a way to play a role in this game. Did you happen to see that Reed Ferguson took an unnecessary roughness penalty? I feel like that made its way onto my timeline, but I don't know that I saw the particulars. So here's what happened. Uh, He got into a battle right after he snapped it back to Matt Hawk. um, And the Jets player put Ferguson on the ground not once, but twice. And then Ferguson took exception to the second second time and suplexed him. <laughs> and took an unnecessary roughness penalty. And I'm just like, wow. And the best part about all this, uh, which I which I pointed out on, on the last podcast, 
it was long snapper versus fullback. So just really good, gritty, old football fun. And I don't know that we'll ever see that duplicated, but I think that was the first unnecessary roughness penalty from a long snapper I've ever seen, at least live in person. It was, and a suplex, no less. It's just, just award-winning stuff, man. I'm curious to see if we're gonna gonna see any extracurriculars in this game uh, uh, I think we after will. you know it played a part in the last game, um, you know, with Trent Brown and David Andrews both getting post whistle penalties. So I don't know. I think all of those little things add up in a game like this because I do think you play this game at a neutral site, uh, you know, with calm weather. I feel like the Bills win more often than not, but you play this game in Orchard Park with zero degrees, and I don't know. I don't know about you. I don't. My initial gut reaction is that the Bills, this particular Bills team, doesn't have a massive advantage playing at home. I feel like they're almost better on the road. Their weather the way, has been crappy all year, except for it, like one or two it, games. But to me, it part of it's the weather for sure. Yeah. Part of it is like they don't throw the ball as well in the weather, and nobody does, and that you know neutralizes them a bit. But I, I'm more so like thinking about the players and like the way they were coming off the field in Foxborough. I think back to you know some of the big games they've won: Pittsburgh, Dallas on Thanksgiving over the years. They like being on the road and being counted out and all of those things. It almost feels like they feel more pressure in front of the home crowd in -hmm. some ways. Uh, Hard to quantify, hard to put your finger on, but it's why I don't think that part of it's the weather, but I don't think they have a massive home field advantage other than the fact that it's going to be exceptionally difficult for Mac Jones to play in that environment with the weather and the crowd. But the rest of the Patriots team, I think, you know, will be somewhat okay. And I think it does, you know, I don't know. It's kind of an interesting psychological component to this game that I thought about because, you know, they handle themselves very well in Foxborough. They're not psyched out by Foxborough. I think Tom Brady being gone takes away a lot of the mystique of playing at Gillette Stadium. But they're just a team that likes you know, kind of being road warriors and being underdogs and the whole thing. Yeah. And so they're still adjusting to that kind of being the, the front runner and the hunted and the whole thing. I don't know. It's another part of the game that I've kind of, you know, batted around, um, you know, but we'll see how it plays out. It, I'm glad the game is in Orchard Park bonus trip, you know, back to, oh, yeah. to see everybody. And I didn't think about this until this week, but it, I, you know, it's nice to be able to be at that stadium when it's full for a playoff game, uh, because last year for the home playoff games, it wasn't that way. And so this will actually be a first for me seeing a home playoff game there at full capacity. Um, I see tickets are the prices for tickets are going down. I don't know if people are getting scared off by the cold, but they are feeling by Saturday night. uh, It'll be full. There'll be, there'll be plenty of people there. And, um, I don't know if they'll take Jerry Hughes's advice and be barefoot um, <laughs> taking their pants or, off and getting or if they'll some take shorts. Mitch Morse's <laughs> advice and just be extremely drunk uh, <laughs> but I'm sure it will be a scene it will be uh you know 
it will be a, a memorable game no matter what happens and you know it'll be it'll be fun to be there yeah for sure this is going to be my first um uh, home playoff bills home playoff game uh, with a full crowd too so it'll it'll be uh be very interesting to see how it all happens and i think that's a perfect segue into the now suddenly a free agent shaq lawson uh prediction hour um i forget what the other word was but i you know he's he's working on it and you know a lot of bills fans have wanted shaq lawson to be back in buffalo by the time this game happens could still happen maybe he's a member of the practice squad on the sidelines there but but yeah he uh he's now a free agent and he's the reason that we are doing we we are doing this prediction because of his uh his psychic capabilities uh from a long time ago so matthew fairburn the line on this game it has been moving all week. I've been tracking it. It started at four and a half. At one point, it went down to three in favor of the Bills. And now it is back up to four and a half again. The over-under is 44. So, Saturday night, AFC wildcard, Patriots at Bills. Who do you got? Who covers the spread? And, of course, the over-under. So, my gut when the game the matchup came out was the bills are rolling the bills are the better team and you know the patriots aren't playing well they've got a rookie quarterback i still think that's probably your smart money however i'm going to pick the patriots to cover the spread and i think the patriots can win the game because i have a feeling the game is going to be weird and I think it needs to be weird for the Patriots to win because of everything we just talked about for the last hour. They aren't, I don't think, ready as they're currently built to straight up play the Bills and win and throw out conditions and everything else. A little bit of a, you know, I, there are some caveats here with the Patriots' health and what exactly the forecast looks like on Saturday night. But when you're talking about a game that cold, I do think it's going to play into New England's hands just enough for them to pull something out. I am not even remotely confident enough in it to lay any sort of uh, American currency on it with, uh, you know, it, which is now legal uh, yes. once I once I cross the border. Um, I'd, I'd, I'm not a hundred percent confident that in one side or the other, which is part of why I would say the, the Patriots will cover the spread. I do think they'll win the game, but I think it'll be close and it's weird to pick the Patriots to cover the spread with the idea that it almost seems like any spread under 10 with the bills. If you think the bills are going to win, you got to take it. Cause that's what they mm -hmm. do now. They just, they only win by 10. Um, but I think it'll be a tight game. I think it'll be a good game. I'm going with the Patriots and the number. And I had not heard that over under until just now. And I'm going to take the over, I think. Ooh, that's saucy. a low number. Is I it know. not? Yeah. I mean, I know it's going to be cold, but that is a low number. Maybe know, they're maybe basing that's... it off that last cold game, only generating 19 points. But yeah, it's, it's that was 24 it's points, 14 to 10. Which one? Which game? 
Monday night, right? They won. Oh no, I was talking about the uh, the Viking Seahawks Super Bowl game way back when. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's such a small sample size. I guess it's weird to sit here and predict one type of game that would play into the Patriots' hands enough for them to get a win and also not take the under. But you got to hedge sometimes. I'm teaching (laughs) people to be smart betters here, Uh, and the over isn't that hard to hit. No, because you know the Bills can score 44 points on their own. I don't think they'll do it against uh, the Patriots in these these temperatures, but 44 points is not, or it'd be 44 and a half. So 45 points is not that hard to get to. Um, at one so point, just, the over-under in that Bama-Georgia game got all the way down into the low 40s, which I found uh, wild. It ended up well north of, uh, it ended up, what, 51. Um so watch watch your live lines. That's how. Yeah, <laughs> here I am. Just this is me roundabout avoiding making a, a rock solid prediction. But I'll go Patriots win and cover, and I'm taking the over. Okay, it'll probably all be wrong. I think I was zero for three <laughs> the last on time on the second uh, <laughs> podcast. I did hit it on the first podcast, and I did correctly predict that there would be a rematch, but. Yes, you did. Uh, or a rubber match, but I was 0 for 3. I went I went Patriots Patriots to cover and under and it was Bills Bills over. So Yeah. yeah. Um viewer discretion advised. <laughs> I guess that'll lead me to uh to my pick of of the game. Uh the way that I look at this is the Bills are coming into this game even healthier than they were the last time. And that slightly worries me from a Patriots perspective, especially with how well the Bills are playing along their defensive line right now. Like the the key to the end of their season here has been Harrison Phillips being inserted into the starting lineup. The dude has just been playing with his hair on fire. He's helped unlock Ed Oliver. The defensive ends are playing better as a result of it. Maybe not the younger ones, but like Jerry Hughes, Mario, Mario Addison, uh, F.A. Obata when they line him up outside. These are guys that are all having a much better time than they did earlier in the season. And it's also helping their linebackers as a result. And I do wonder if the presence of Phillips and Oliver and the way that he's playing and Obata uh, playing as well as he is too, uh, if that helps the linebackers stay a lot more clean in, in a battle like this one, because that's going to be the Bills' biggest test. And then offensively, um, I do, you know, you, you can never really tell with Belichick, but the way that the Bills absolutely roasted their man defense, I have to think that they switch back to zone um, based on how successful it was for them the first go round, and, you know, being able to, pivot off what they did last time because the blitz did not work on uh on Allen when they did try it and they had ample protection so I think that we're going to see a lot of zone I I wonder if this is like a an old school throwback Cole Beasley in in the slot game um where they just target him early and often because the one thing I saw from the Dolphins game was how much the Dolphins really just and this is basically all they can do um just picked the the Patriots apart underneath and and 
had uh, defenders taking the bait of one route going crossing their face and then having another um, receiver replace. Brian Dable is going to see all of that. He's super sharp and and uh, having Beasley back for this game against that sort of defense and then Gabriel Davis going up against Jalen Mills maybe or the other corner. Um, that's that's a, a a huge thing for them. Now I do think that. The Bills will struggle a bit on the wide rushes. Uh, that, to me, is something that's not going away anytime soon. That's something where if Edmonds and Milano can run, but if if they have to run and be physical, then that is an area that they tend to struggle and it can get, get a bit muddy. So that's one area that I think Patriots will have some success. But I do think this Bills passing attack will be patient. They'll take the small stuff. They won't try to win it all on, on on one single play. They've been really good at that over the last four games. So all of this is a way... Oh, and Mac Jones, obviously, is um, a key factor here. And the one big concern I have for the Bills heading into the playoffs is how Dane Jackson is going to do against prolific passing attacks. But that's not going to be the case in this one. So, you know, and you kind of get a feel for the team that you cover... You know, when they're feeling really loose and it just feels like from how we've seen them talk, operate all week, the Bills are really loose this week. And they kind of feel like underdogs, even though they're at home because of the Patriots and, and all this other stuff. And, and they've, they're even saying that we hear we hear what everyone's saying sort of thing. You know, that's that's the that's the thing they love to do. Nobody's so all, saying anything. I, well, they they seem my to have found thing about that. They, they the seem bills. to have found Everybody someone that has said us. something. So everybody's with all that against us, even when everybody's picking them, I know, I know the the Cowboys game on Thanksgiving from a yeah. few years ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, so all that said, I am going to take the Bills to win this game. Um, I am a lot more confident about it this time than I was the last time. Um, because of all of the things that I think are working in their favor, all the the adjustments that they've made over the last four weeks and their their health trending up. Uh, I'm actually going to take the Bills to cover uh, the four and a half in, in this one. And the, the line is very Patriots friendly, but um, I think I think the Bills, they just, even if it's like a, a six or seven point, point win i i think it, it can still be a one score game and the bills might actually get their first one score victory of the entire season um but i think they'll they'll have enough of what it takes and like you i'll i'll take the over i think they're gonna kind of go back and forth at the beginning stages and heck you know cold weather shootout why not get a hold of it and by shootout i mean get to 45 points <laughs> which i think if much. you like I think if you like the Bills, the Bills and the number is good. Like yeah, I, I absolutely I think it I can see the Bills winning this game by a touchdown plus. You know, what yeah, for somewhere sure. in the, the six to ten point range. Like I, it's almost like the closer the game is, the more I like the Patriots, basically. You know, like mm-hmm. if it gets really tight at the end, that's where, you know, you feel like the Patriots might be able to pull it out. But if it becomes a game where the Patriots are playing catch up like last time, I wouldn't be surprised if if the Bills win by you know a touchdown or two. So I got no problem with anybody who wants to take those points because really I don't you know it's 
very similar to a straight up bet to me because yeah, is there a chance that the Bills win by a field goal and the the Patriots get the cover? Absolutely. You know, it could be that kind of game. But the track record of this Bills team over the last two years is that they win when they win, they win like mm-hmm. by a touchdown plus. So yeah, I I think that's the smart you know thought is if they're going to win, they're not really going to sneak sneak through. I don't think and. By picking the Patriots, my thought is like perhaps this game gets ugly and weird, and ugly and weird favors. Frankly, it favors the lesser team, I think, in this case, and it favors the the weirder, uglier team, the team that likes to win weird and ugly, um, and has for you know twenty plus years. So that's what's what's interesting about this one. I feel like we're gonna have a pretty good idea fifteen minutes in, you know, what type of game we're in for. Yeah, for sure. So the, um, the the Bills and the Patriots, God, it's gonna be fun. Uh, it, round three, we get to see who wins who wins the battle of 2021 slash playoffs 2022, and and yeah, we'll we'll see if the Bills can actually start their journey towards the way they were talking all off season and all all of the commotion of the offseason bringing the entire team back even though the the salary cap ramifications being what they were um adding to their pass rush specifically to go up against kansas city uh which they would get an opportunity to do so in the second round unless the steelers by some minor miracle knocks them off in kansas city um so so yeah it's uh should be fun starting on saturday night all right matthew fairburn you're gonna make your trek in to Buffalo for the first time in 2022. Uh, any fond words of farewell for our Buffalo Beat fans out there? Stay warm. It Ooh. is going to, I can't imagine uh, being outdoors at that football game, but you know, you got to do what you got to do, I guess. If you're, you're a fan, you can't just, can't just abandon the, the, the team at its time of need, but whew, bless you. If you're out there, it is going to be, it's going to be not fun at that time of day. So, um, I don't know, whatever cold weather, uh, I don't know, find somebody in your family who's a hunter and get their tips, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how you, you stay warm, but, uh, looking forward to, to seeing all the listeners, uh, out there somewhere, uh, in that <laughs> sea of madness on Saturday night. I would say layer, but don't overlayer and cause yourself to sweat. That's a, I think that would be a not so fun thing. But it's always a, an interesting thing that when you look on, on your weather app and you see uh, frostbite could occur to exposed skin within 15 minutes for the, for the forecast. I'm like, oh, okay, perfect. <laughs> That's going to be terrible. And not ideal. Yeah, certainly not. All right. Uh, oh, by the way, I remembered. It was the Shaq Lawson meditation prediction hour. That's meditation. I forgot he said meditation. Anyway. All right, Matthew Fairburn, um, have a safe ride to Buffalo. We will see you here and uh, look forward to uh, our in-game musings with one another. It's all it's always fun whenever we're messaging back and forth with, with you, me, and Tim. It's a good time. Yeah, it's not a bad time. Uh, if... <laughs> if uh... Yeah, it's, it's going to be fun to be in that press box, and it'll be a fitting, perhaps a fitting uh, 
you know, fitting way to end the season potentially right back where I started it. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely uh, poetic. All the same. All right, so uh, that'll do it for us. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this extended version of the Buffalo Beat, uh, the preview edition to the Bills-Patriots game. It should be a doozy, and we'll get to see if the Bills can actually advance to the divisional round and who they could be up against um, in the second round if they are successful. For Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscaglia. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will talk to you after the game. See you then.